Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. So I'm here with a special guest for our podcast episode. I'm so excited to introduce to you, Proclaim, uh, the, uh, I'm going to get this title right, the Executive <laughs> Director of Evangelization and Family Life Ministries for the Archdiocese of Denver. Uh, Mr. Andrew McGowan. That's a formal introduction, Andrew. Yes. <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time to have this conversation with us and with Proclaim. Absolutely. And wow, you did a great job. It's a mouthful. And yeah, I'm humbled and excited to be with you and be with your people. Amazing. And if that title speaks into any type of experience with titles in the church, I'll expect to have a new title by the time this podcast gets published. <laughs> and uh, that really what it means is that you, you do a lot for the church. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrew, before we uh, jump into it, introduce yourself to Proclaim. Tell us a little bit about your story. Absolutely. So I am in the United States. I grew up in Kansas. Uh, no association with the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> uh, uh, but live in Denver now. And I've been here with my wife and our kids for, uh, oh goodness, almost 15 years now. Uh, cradle Catholic. I grew up going to the church regularly and my mom was actually the choir director and the art and environment coordinator. So I was physically at the church a lot growing up. Okay. Uh, I've only ever been to Catholic school, like preschool through my master's. Uh, so I, I have this kind of like blessed and kind of unique background in that sense. But even though, like when I look back, even though I was surrounded by the faith, I think in hindsight, my view of God was definitely that uh, I believed he existed and almost like maybe in the past tense, but he really wasn't much different than maybe like an Abraham Lincoln or a Julius Caesar to me in that sense. Okay. Uh, I had no personal experience or knowledge of him, but I could pass a test about uh, questions about religion. Uh, but that all changed the summer before I entered high school. I attended a Steubenville Youth Conference uh, in Denver, actually, even though I was growing up in Kansas City. And uh, in adoration, I encountered Jesus personally for the first time. And I really think that that knowledge that I had of God sunk from my head into my heart is probably the easiest way to say that. And I remember thinking to myself, even as a like a 13-year-old, uh, which is shocking to me, 20-something years later, that I, I had this self-awareness to think you know, my life can't be the same because I can't pretend that I don't know that he's real. Yeah. Uh, I, even if I wanted to, that knowledge would always haunt me. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I, I honestly had very little accompaniment after that happened. Uh, we did have a youth group and I, we had a number of adult volunteers, um, but not a lot of mentoring. I think they were like doing the best that they could. And that we just didn't, we didn't think through those kinds of things. And so I kind of stumbled through high school as like a retreat junkie. Uh, I just like, for me, like closeness to God was an emotional experience because I didn't know anything else. And so I was like chasing every retreat possible okay. until I finally had some people mm. kind of begin to walk with me. I'm not sure it really was accompaniment, but it was just, just walking with me. They're close to me and helping me grow and mature and uh, ended up, I, I, I knew pretty, pretty strongly, like toward the middle of high school that I really wanted to serve the church. I was really convinced of that. And so I went to school for theology and youth ministry at the time. I thought, man, there is no better job in the world than getting paid to go to the movies and bowling. So that is what I want to do <laughs> with my life. And so uh, I did that. And then I ended up moving to Denver uh, to follow, to come out here for my master's. And I started working full time and 
And then I actually met my wife like three months after I moved to Denver and she's a native. We started dating and then we got married and, and then I was doomed. So now I'm here um, <laughs> and um, no plans to leave. And uh, yeah, I've just really been blessed. I've, I'm, I look back on my life and I think in particular about how little I deserved the experiences that I've had, the people that God has put in my path, um, just the understandings he's brought me to through working in parish life and in different apostolates. And so ultimately all that led up to me being invited to work for the diocese uh, three years ago now, three and a half years ago. And uh, I worked as a director of evangelization, uh, supporting really directly parishes in evangelization work and RCIA. And then uh, about four or five months ago, the uh, executive director over our whole department was promoted to a new position. And so uh, humbly, they promoted me. So now I oversee the entire Office of Evangelization and Family Life for the Archdiocese of Denver. So, okay, short, abbreviated, little glimpse. No, of that's great. Now. Yeah, thank you. And what a gift that uh, conversion is! Really, the grace of conversion just you know, o- overwhelmed your life and changed it for the for the better. It just kind of changed the trajectory for you. Yeah, and it's amazing yeah. because I, it was not, and I had later on like more emotionally impactful experiences in prayer but that initial one was not like there was no tears like i was not emotionally like overwhelmed i just had this clarity it was it's very hard to describe because i think uh like the image that happened to me at the time was like if you've seen a movie where the main character is like in slow motion and everything around them is like moving like really sped up and blurring around that's what it felt like in real life like in the middle of this room with like 2500 other high school students uh, in adoration. And I was just felt like this weird kind of like, it was me alone and Jesus in the midst of this room. And, and yeah. I just, I, I didn't really hear anything or feel anything, but I just, I, I had this, this knowledge that was like, like profound. I don't even know. I had an encounter with the truth, I guess is a way to say yeah. it that yep. just oriented me that, uh, for the rest of my life really. And it yep. was like, a yeah, there was not a lot of profound changes, like, like morally or socially at the time. It was like a very small difference in degree, but you know, long-term yeah. that tiny shift in orientation uh, produced a huge effect. Yeah. 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 Makes a lot of sense. Um, as you're speaking, the, like the, the short, what you might call a description of conversion that St. John Paul II offers comes to mind. He said, conversion is accepting by personal decision, the saving sovereignty of Jesus Christ and becoming his disciple. So, you know, that you had the awareness of who Jesus was. He was real. And you, like he, the, the truth of who he was, was just made very clear to you. And you just made the decision. All right, I'm going to turn that way. And then eventually it just changed everything um, moving forward from that. Yeah. And I think yeah. uh, not to spend the whole time talking about that particular experience, but I, what I think was the blessing of my life and the blessing of growing up Catholic was that I was primed to receive it. Like it wasn't, yeah. it, it was only a shift in, in degree mainly because I was so ready for it. Like I I just didn't know what I hadn't known yet. I hadn't met him yet, but all the pieces were in place for me to begin the life of faith. Like I had a habit of, I was going to mass, like we were somewhat trying to pray as a family. Like I was trying to be generally good. I didn't really know why, but like I just was afraid of being bad. And so I had all these pieces in play, which was such a gift because it made it a lot easier to begin to make strides once that final thing kind of clicked in, which was the most critical. It's like, Iron Man missing the heart, you know, that was kind of like I, the suit was built and then that got put into me on that retreat. And then here we went. Yeah. That's such a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, I would have a very similar experience having grown up in a faithful home. And then of course, having a, um, 
an encounter with the Lord uh, as a as a young adult and then making a, a personal decision. I think the the I hope that the word of encouragement that our Proclaim listeners, particularly parents that are listening uh, and are part of Proclaim, um, the word of encouragement to all of you would be that as you continue to raise your children, you know, drop treasures in their lives and continue to build that suit, as uh, Andrew mentioned. And the grace of conversion is is not um, it's not on us. It really is the uh, the work of the Lord. And um, and that's but your work right now, whether you see the fruitfulness of it, um, has merit and it has value. So I'm a I'm a testament of that. Andrew's a testament of that. So continue to to plant seeds of of faith and and truth and goodness into the lives of your children. So I'm going to take a moment to shift a little bit because you know proclaim as a movement of the Archdiocese of Vancouver is. Uh, has a mission to awaken disciples to proclaim Jesus, or in another way, as Pope Francis put it, you know, to help us become missionary disciples. So um, I'm going to throw it to you, Andrew. You know, what does it mean for you, in your own words, to be a missionary disciple? Yes, what a great and excellent question. Uh, I think it's great because I think my own understanding of what that meant, like what that means to be a missionary disciple, has definitely gone through different stages of development and clarity as I've continued to grow and, um, and just met more people and heard more testimony. I think for me, it's easiest first to talk about what it means to be a missionary and then to be disciple kind of separately. And then to kind of put them together because it's two words and they both are really deep with meaning and import. Uh, and it's also important that they're together that we're not talking about first being a missionary and then a disciple, but to be missionary, um, I think despite our perceptions and sometimes also maybe possibly our attitudes to the contrary, almost all of our life circumstance has been decided beyond our control. Hmm. I didn't decide who my parents are, where I was born, what time in human history I was born in, where my parents sent me to school initially, even what my talents and gifts and weaknesses are. I mean, that list goes on and on. There's so much that I did not decide about who I am, where I am, what I am right now. So I think for me to be missionary means to understand that God has chosen me for this time, for this place, around these particular people in this specific circumstance. And I've been given everything necessary to be his light in this exact place. So Mm -hmm. to be a missionary disciple means to understand that God has chosen me and placed me here right now. And this is uh, it's given to me. I don't need to go somewhere far away. I think the enemy does an excellent job of convincing us that mission is somewhere out there somewhere or somewhere yeah. else. <clears throat> and we do not have to go far, nor probably yeah. should we honestly, to find the mission field that our King has designated for each of us from the beginning of time. Yeah. So I think about missionary, like that's what stands out to me is primarily like, I know it's easy to think of like images of people in a different country doing important work. And that is true and good. And we should do that. But uh, we are not all called to that. And frankly, very few are called to that, but we are all called to be missionary where we're at Um, to be disciple. Like, so that's like missionary. Like when we talk about being a disciple, I think uh, to me, it's all about imitation. Uh, we, we could go deeper into the first century context for this term, but like, however, I just think imitation is the clearest word that we have to describe the nature of discipleship. Uh, I want to see the world the way that Jesus sees things so that I can think the way he thinks, I can act the way he acts and bear the fruit that he bore. And for me, like the principal 
thing that underlines all of Jesus's sight, his thought, his actions is love, this deep and consuming love that he has for the Father and that he receives from the Father. So for me, to be a disciple means first to receive a deep and abiding love from that the Holy Trinity has for me, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, yeah. and in turn to fall in love with the Trinity. Like that's the foundation of my imitation. Because yeah. if I try to imitate Jesus and it's not from this experience of being loved and loving, I don't know what it is, but it's not imitating him because that's clearly what animates Jesus. And so when I think about discipleship, it's it's kind of intimacy. Now, putting them together, what I found is so uh, important is to not separate those two because they depend upon one another. Yep. If I'm going to be missionary, I have to be disciple because without the love of Christ, uh, I I don't know what I'm offering someone else, but it's not worth having. Okay, yep. uh, and the uh, we I think we all kind of agree to that. But what I found also uniquely is that sometimes the opposite is true. That if I kind of whether uh, intentionally or unintentionally say, you know what, I'm I'm not interested in the mission, or maybe right now I don't want like I just need to work on me. Like I'm just going to go into a, a hut with me and Jesus. I think what we find very quickly is like our our relationship with him hits a ceiling. I, I know yeah. this from my own life. When when I look back in hindsight and I kind of had said a subconscious no to mission, like I'm not interested in sharing the faith. Like I don't really have any intention of helping other people. Like I think I just need to work on me. What I found was like, all of a sudden I'd go for two or three months and like my prayer was really dry. And I'm like, Jesus, where did you go? Yeah. And he's like, well, why did you stay? Like <laughs> you decided to stop, not me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm on the move. And so I think- it's so important that both of those things are together and that we understand in our life that like they feed and benefit one another. Yep. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It's like breathing really it's breathe in, breathe out, right? It's like breathing in is that imitation. I'm going to bring in the Lord into my life and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow the way in which he lives and breathes and sees the world. And then breathing out is the mission. You can't mm -hmm. hold your breath. There's no, like, you're not going to, you're going to pass out really is what you're going to do. You're going to yeah. lose your life. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah. And I love what you said about the mission that each of us are called to. Um, and that, that's a great message for Proclaim, because we talk often about how each of us uniquely has what we would call approximate periphery, those who are close to us, but far from Jesus. Mm. So you could say that the mission territory that we have uh, by way of an opportunity is, you know, right in front of us, uh, the people that we love and care that may not know Jesus or not know him well enough. Yeah, yeah, that that goodness. That it's just so important because there it is is likely that there are people in our sphere of influence who know no other Christians. They they don't know yeah. anyone else who knows him. Mm -hmm. And and can you imagine if Jesus, born into the nation of Israel, he turns thirty, he gets baptized by John, and then he goes to India and he spends uh -huh. absolutely no time in the Holy Land. Like that's essentially yeah. what we're doing when we think. Like my mission field is, couldn't be anyone in my family. Couldn't be any of my friends. It's definitely not one of my coworkers. Like, wait yeah. a minute, what? Like, yeah. no, it's, it's absolutely them first, mm. you know? Uh, and what a shame if we were to, you know, and I, look, I acknowledge it is the hardest place most times to consider because we have the most to lose. Like, gosh, it's so much easier to share the faith with the stranger. It's so much easier yeah. because yeah, there's no relationship on the line in that, in that yeah. case. And yeah, yet you're the, you're the least trustworthy with someone that doesn't know you. Yes. Yeah. And you're, we have, I mean, it's like, if I, in my mind, I think the fear a lot comes from, if I 
mess this up or make someone uncomfortable, I'm going to have to see him at Christmas, like for the <laughs> next 20 years, like goodness, that's a lot of responsibility, which yeah. I think just underlines, like that's a moment for us to take a step back and really ask myself, like, who am I relying on? Like, if yeah. it's up to me, you're right. That is terrifying. I would never do it. But if I'm really relying on the Holy spirit, like I should have confidence that like, yeah. he's going to do things that I wouldn't imagine if I just give him the chance. Yeah. And I think there's like opportunity as well to help form some relational skills in evangelization where you could help someone see the person in front of them that they have a relational connection to that they're going to have to see for the next 20 years and still make the invitation in, in a way that says, I'm going to make the invitation, whether you say yes or no, we're going to be okay. You and I are going to be okay. We're going to still do what we do at Christmas and hang out yeah. and connect our families. And I might make the invitation again, and you are 100% free to say yes or no, depending on where you're at. And that's it. My, you know, our, our role is to extend the invitation and then to continue the relationship in love. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's so yeah. much easier. I think, I think the other thing that I'm always compelled by in my experience doing evangelization training and walking with people is that we build it up to be so uh, scary in our minds, because I think we forget that there's lots of little steps that lead towards that actual conversation of like, would you like to become a disciple? But without knowing those other steps, we think that that's all there is. And that is, we we kind of fundamentally know, like that just doesn't work to walk up to someone and be like, are you ready to make Jesus your Lord and savior? Yeah, You know? And so like understanding those first steps gives us a lot of confidence because in fact, not only is it not scary, but like they're, it's an easy win. Like I'm so, um, excited and compelled by helping people to learn the skill of just engaging in spiritual conversations Mm -hmm. because it's the, it's the easiest thing to do. And the other person who I'm doing this with inviting them into this conversation, they almost always are desperate for deeper conversations. Maybe you want to use that term, like deeper conversations. They're just never given an opportunity. And so uh, it can be small. It should be small. And uh, anyway. Yeah. That's great. You know what? I'm going to ask you a little later so you can think about it a bit uh, around the idea of spiritual conversations. Because uh, a lot of what we do in Proclaim is help individuals, missionary disciples, have these conversations, start uh, solid relationships, grow trust in order to you know, allow for an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, Andrew, I asked you, on, I invited you to jump on the podcast because there is something common to the Archdiocese of uh, Denver and what you're doing with within your area of ministry and proclaim. And that is using one of the specific tools for discipleship formation and evangelization uh, that we use here in the Archdiocese and uh, and you use in your uh, diocese, which is the CCO faith studies. And in particular, not just the studies themselves as a program, but really a way of accompanying others to discover discipleship to understand and and learn how to imitate uh, the Lord in a way, and then to form them as missionary disciples to go out and to to help others discover um, discipleship as well. So what's been your experience with the CCO Faith Studies and, you know, what's what's up in in the Archdiocese of Denver? That's, oh man, another great question. Huge (laughs) landscape. Yeah. (laughs) Opening before me of conversation (laughs) in this one. Um, I think I'll just like very briefly talk about my own like kind of experience with the resource and the 
and the, the method maybe is one way to talk about it. And then I can yeah. speak also about uh, maybe our work in the diocese and what we're seeing and where we're seeing fruit and what we're trying to do. Um, I think when I think about um, like discovery in particular and the faith studies in general, I think probably about like two things. One, like I think about them as the tool that they are, the resource that they are, that are very uh, applicable at a certain moment to achieve a really specific goal. And then I also think about how they provide, you, you already mentioned this, but a context for accompaniment. And those are kind of the two things I think about when I think about the faith studies. Uh, the tool itself, I am I love discovery. I, I was introduced to it three, I think it's, yeah, three years ago now when the former executive director of our office had met Andre Renier, the founder of CCO at a conference uh, in the United States. And uh, they'd begun a conversation about like how to begin a movement really of accompaniment and Andre said, look, you just start by leading discovery for your directors in your office. And so I got pulled into discovery, didn't know what it was and went through it as a participant, loved it, had a great conversation and then turned around and led it for my team in our office. From there, went to have a little workshop, just introducing some of our uh, leaders at different parishes to charismatic resources. And I had a small group of a couple who really wanted to go through discovery. So I led it for them and then ended up coaching them. So it was not a planned thing. We just kind of like fell into this process of this kind of journey with CCO and and initially, especially discovery. And what was so compelling about discovery for me, because I had had experience with alpha with Christ life, seen the search. I watched the rescue project. There's, there's a number of others. There's Christ news is Paris. There's Christia retreats. So there's a lot of charismatic kind of evangelization resources and, what I find compelling about discovery is just how clear, simple, direct, and personal it is. Hmm. Uh, there's no uh, obscuring what we're going after in discovery, which hmm. uh, makes it a particular tool because you probably wouldn't find as much fruit if you used it with someone who wasn't ready for that conversation. But yeah. there are a lot of people who are ready for that conversation for clarity around what what is a relationship with Jesus? What do we mean by giving ourselves into a relationship of discipleship and how do I do that? And uh, it's the only one that I have found that really takes seriously uh, that the importance of making that ask of each person, what kind of relationship do you want to be in? Do you want to be in a Christ-centered relationship to the point where it's expected? I mean, if you, if you, I, I know, you know, and any of your listeners who've done discovery, like it's required of the leader that you do this. It's in the book, right? You have to have these conversations. Uh, so I love that. Um, I also, I think the other thing from discovery that is so powerful to me is the marriage analogy. Again, I've right. seen a lot of charismatic resources and it's the only one that I know of that uses that as its primary lens through which to understand what is discipleship and what is a relationship with Jesus, which I think is is so compelling to me. That that the marriage analogy is scriptural. It's not CCO's analogy, it's God's analogy. It's in the Old yep. Testament, it's in the New Testament. Yep. And I think it's the highest analogy that really helps us to understand like, yes, Jesus is friend. Yes, he is brother. Yes, he is king. But more than that, like he wants to be like a spouse, right? Which yeah. uh, is anyway. So love the tool. And then the context has been amazing for us because it's built to help teach you how to accompany. So it's it's not just like a uh, an artificial environment in which to train because it actually you accompany people and they're actually loved and heard and known and walked with but it does a really good job of providing a very easy context in which to learn how to accompany and then 
from my side of things, more importantly, to teach other people how to accompany, uh, which is uh, really what we're trying to go after right now. We, we want to see intentional accompaniment embodied in all ministries, in all areas, because it, it applies everywhere. I mean, very specifically in evangelization, but really in all ministries. Mm-hmm. And for us, uh, we are almost exclusively using the faith studies as like the, uh, the uh, first touch point for teaching people how that works. Like, great. I want you to lead a discovery, maybe a source and a commission. And I'm going to coach you so that we can just learn the dynamics of accompaniment, how to prophetically listen, what it means to follow up with people and really uh, find where they're at anyway. So uh, we've had great experiences with both. Uh, Tell me where you want to go in. Yeah. No, that's so good. Yeah. You've said a lot. You've you've really said a lot. Um, but I'm going to ask you to get more into some of the practical details and the expression of accompaniment, uh, because I, you know, I, I hear the word accompaniment often now. And you know how in the life of the church, you kind of get some buzzwords that kind of just start to pop up. And accompaniment is one of those buzzwords that's that's out there. And um, for better or for worse, I think it's great that we're you know we're seeing the need for relational ministry to uh, to kind of take more of an emphasis. And of course, accompaniment comes forward, but there is a lot of questions about what what does that look like? What does it mean to accompany? What is intentional accompaniment? It's something that we would use as well in terms of our language, which we, you know, we we take um, you know give credit to CCO where credit is due. Like they they've used that term uh, to mean accompaniment in a very specific way. So we hear that, and uh, I think our proclaimed listeners know of it. But we're and we have certain expressions of how it occurs here, but. Share with us some of the like the nitty gritty. The you know what is it? What does it really look like uh, in in the mission in the archdiocese of Denver? Oh man, um, yeah, that can be hard to answer. Mainly because in my mind, there's nowhere it doesn't uh, touch. But I think the the beginnings of a let, let me backtrack and say this. I think people who have positions of leadership in ministry, whether they're paid or not, many of those people uh, in some sense intuit what we would call accompaniment or relational yes. ministry or discipleship. It's just natural to them. Okay. Yeah. And that's always been the case. I mean, for decades, you've had people who just like are naturally gifted in uh, whatever term you want to use. They're all they're synonymous with, you know, nuances here and there, but this idea of one-on-one listening to someone, caring for them, finding out where they really are and actually helping them connect with the Holy Spirit and take next steps in the faith. Uh, there's people who've always had that gifting. I think what what we're really interested right now in is how do you transfer that gifting to people who want to, but don't have like a natural affinity or it's not like second right. nature to. Does that make sense? And so absolutely, um, yeah. what, what is so important to us about uh, CCO's uh, language is that it gives us a way to replicate that in others, to actually pass on that skill to others. Yeah. And so the way that we're doing that right now, I think it's down to the nitty gritty, uh, for better or worse, we've just kind of stumbled into this as our model right now. Uh, doesn't mean it won't be different in six months, but, um, you know, when we have a conversation with a pastor or a lay leader who says, you know, I'm all over this, I'd really like to see this happen. What we normally do is start with great. We want you to be a, like, a participant. Like we will come, me or someone from my team, we're going to lead a discovery for you and four or five other people. And we're going to walk you through discovery. We're going to walk you through source or maybe some kind of retreat that will do a similar uh, 
goal of source of introduction to a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then we'll either do commission or again, we'll have like an activation training where we'll kind of launch you out. Okay. So what we'll do is we'll come alongside closely uh, and we'll lead them, even though they're leaders at the parish, like we're going to ask them humbly, like come back to be a participant so we can just model it for you. Right. Then step, step two is going to be great. We want you to form a small group of people and we'll coach you so that you can uh, have someone come alongside you. Uh, what we've had happen again, this is a bit in the weeds, but once something like that expands to the point where um, we either don't have the, the bandwidth in my office with all that we're doing to kind of intentionally accompany that parish now that they've got like 15 or 20 leaders. Some of those we have been able to hand off in a great way to CCO for like official coaching from CCO. Okay. Um, and then other times uh, it's, we're trying to create a system of like parish leaders to parish leaders meeting, like uh, particularly like the people who are directing the movement at each parish is meeting on a monthly or bi-monthly basis to share best practices and be encouraged and support one another, even if there's not an official coaching from us or from CCO. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great. I, I think if, if I were to sum up the model, I hope this, this summarizes it well, that you're, I mean, you are modeling the way by doing and them observing through their experience. And of course, seeing how you, you operate in terms of the accompaniment of, of them. And then, you have them do it, but you don't just kind of say, go out and do it because you saw us. We're going to come beside you and coach you and, and observe. So there's kind of like a bridge between watching you do it and then they do it and you watch them and, and support them. And yeah. then from there, you send them out and say, you do it. And uh, and if you need some additional help, we're going to we're going to go to the source or we're going to you know, we're going to uh, what would you call outsource the uh, the support there so that you can probably go to the next parish do the same thing again, exactly. replicate it and send it out. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're yeah. exactly right. I think that we, we love, we, we always want to own the relationships with our parishes, but at a certain point it's like, we've got a hundred and little over 110 parishes in the archdiocese. So um, we want to share the love. And so there's only, you know, yeah. less than 15 of us in the office. We want to share the love. So, yeah, no, that's great. And to put into context, I think our archdiocese of Vancouver is, um, I would say it's 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 much smaller than than Denver. We've got about seventy eight parishes, um, also all English speaking. Although we have a couple of Korean and, and Chinese uh, speaking parishes, but uh, for the Archdiocese of Denver, you've got quite a large uh, Spanish speaking um, constituent as well, right? Yeah, we do. Fifty yeah. percent of the Archdiocese of Denver are Hispanic, so we've there got go. a yeah. strong. Yeah, it's really like half and half. We do also have a good number of Vietnamese um, yeah. Catholics in the Archdiocese, but the yeah. primary, yeah. And it, yeah, its own uh, strengths and challenges, both communities. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. In Vancouver, we're, we are quite multi multicultural. Lots of Filipino, lots of um, various Asian uh, communities that kind of make up the you know the 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 body of Christ here in Vancouver. Uh, but for the most part, we're we're English. So, Andrew, I want to ask a kind of again a big picture question. Yes. You know, as as the director for evangelization for, you know, as um, as in, in thinking about even some of your own history with um, ex and experiences in youth ministry, parish life, being raised in, within a context of a Catholic family and then seeing what's going on um, in the world today and in Denver and, you know, from a more secular aspect, what would be some of your dreams for the Archdiocese of Vancouver or 
the Archdiocese of Denver. Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> you can come and work for us too, if you'd like. <laughs> I'd like to come visit. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, yeah, that's a great question. And you yeah. sent me that before we got on together today. And uh, yeah, it made me stop and think because sometimes uh, it's really helpful to take a step back and think about like big, big heart picture because we're so many times deep in the weeds, kind of working yeah. in the diocesan office, trying to be close with people. And I know this sounds a little trite, but I really mean it sincerely. My dream would be to see a radical increase in faith in yeah. hope and in love mm. in the church here in Denver that would drive us to seek and to save those who are lost. That's, that's my heart, right? Like Amen. A, a faith that is not based simply on orthodoxy uh, or intellectual formation, but on a personal encounter with the Lord. Yeah. I want, uh, we'd love to see a hope like us to be just animated by hope that helps us to endure the hardship and the difficulty that comes with living the gospel. I mean, we're in a, in the grand scope of the United States, you know, Denver is definitely a progressive city and it's, it's not a, um, the, the culture is hostile to the gospel here. So just right. a hope that it helps us endure beyond that. We just have our eyes on heaven and, and primarily just an increase in charity, like just being on fire for the love of Jesus, because more than anything, that's going to, uh, we won't be able to sit on our hands if we are captivated by that. I think like on a more tangible level, like I'd really love to see an increase in our parishes offering programs of evangelization. I'd love to see trainings happening for parishioners to share mm -hmm. the faith with their family and friends. And ultimately, like I want to see an increase in baptisms. I mean, like we're getting mm -hmm. down to like, like something that's tangible and quantifiable. Like I would love to see that trend reverse while yeah. I'm here and while we're doing things. So yeah, that's my yeah, hope. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'll take the opportunity to share a little bit of some of my dreams for the Archdiocese Please. of Vancouver because it, it sounds very similar. And a big, um, I guess, the 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 vision for me really comes out of Acts chapter 2, where uh, right after Peter's speech, you hear a description of the first Christian community, that communal life. And it speaks about how, you know, all those who believe devoted their, you know, devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the prayers and to the breaking of the bread. They ate meals with exultation, with sincerity of heart. You know, they like they they sold their possessions and shared everything and, and offered to, to those who were in need. Um, many signs and wonders were done in their name as they went out, meaning, you know, conversions and miracles and just, you know, all those those things. And then, you know, and they again, it mentions again, the commitment to prayer and the commitment to each other, the commitment to praying in the home. And then it finally says right at the, in the last line and every day the people who were saved were added to their number. Um, and that to me, when you said baptisms, just kind of like, you know, sprung up for me. So um, I think we have a similar dream for our local church. And I would say for uh, the church uh, around the world, the universal church for the world, really, that, that everyone would come to know uh, the saving sovereignty of Jesus Christ and would become his disciple. Because in it, um, really, that's the only place where we're going to receive life. Um, an eternal life. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the stakes are high. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, it's not up to us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Andrew, I want to give you the last word. So to, you know, to, is there a word of encouragement that you might want to offer to our Proclaim listeners? Yes. Yeah. I think I'd love for you to walk away just with the knowledge that God can and will do far more than you could ever ask him or imagine he could do. 
in your sphere of influence if you give him a blank check. Oh, and just yeah. don't don't be afraid to make yourself available to the Holy Spirit, particularly in your family relationships, your relationships with your coworkers, because the truth is, is that he has a plan. He has the power. He has the desire to change their lives. And all he needs is your yes to go where he sends you and say what he wants you to say. And uh, it, it's going to include suffering, right? There's going to be contention, right? But uh, just I, I maybe the last thought is just a, a prayer that we could keep in our minds that um, that phrase that Jesus shares, you know, like to imagine at the end of our life, Jesus saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, and to let that kind of drive us. Amen. Amen. Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast with us today. Absolutely. Eric, thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs>